1: Even people who are in the wrong get it right once in a while. That is next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner in Job chapter 20. Join us. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, hi there and welcome to today's broadcast. Our time together returns us to the book of Job. We find ourselves in chapter 20 today. It's here that Job gets another response from one of his quote-unquote friends. And within this response, we have this amazing truth. The joy of the hypocrite is brief. For an understanding of this and how it relates to you and I today, let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner and today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
0: The scriptures are very clear. And in this, Zophar is correct. Only the one who does the will of God will abide forever. You know, the only way we can understand this is to do what Asaph said in Psalm 73. He looked around at the prosperity of the wicked and he says, I afflict my soul every morning, which means I'm confessing my sins. I'm repenting. I'm asking God for strength. And I look at the wicked, and he's not afflicted at all. He doesn't worry about what God thinks, about what he's doing. He just lives his life as he desires, and he seems to be prospering. And then Asaph says, Then I went to the house of God, and I understood. God has set him in slippery places. So what did he see when he went into the house of God? He saw by faith through God's word that the triumph of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. Not exactly like Zophar describes it, but it is true. But even more, we must see Jesus when we come into the house of God to have faith in this promise that the wicked will only be but a vapor. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer encourages us as he encouraged the believers then as they were facing persecution and hardship. Notice what he tells them. You must hold fast to the word of God, for if we neglect so great a salvation, verse 3, it will be terrible. But then he starts quoting from Psalm 8 in verse 7. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You did set him over the work of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet. Well, this sounds great. All things in subjection under the feet of godly men. For he put all things in subjection under him, and he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all the things put under him. Now, before I... Go on to verse 9. See how the apostle here is updating Psalm 8 in one respect. God created man to have dominion. And to put everything under his feet. But when we look around at the world, it doesn't look like that, does it? It doesn't look like the godly are in charge of things. Or have the supremacy that God created, the redeemed to have. It looks like the wicked are in charge. That's why he said at the end of verse eight, but now the children of God are oppressed and distressed at times and they are persecuted. So in verse nine, but we do see Jesus just like Job did. Who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. In other words, what? We are supposed to keep looking to Jesus. We're supposed to keep remembering, wait a minute, He was made low even though He was very high. The eternal Son of God, one with the Father in power and glory, He was made low. But now He is exalted. Right now the church in this life is often low and persecuted and distressed, but by looking to Jesus... We receive strength to know what our destiny truly is. And we draw grace from him to be faithful and and endure as we pray each day. And as his word abides in us. So Zophar is right. And Zophar is wrong. On verses 10 through 22, Zophar simply describes what he says is a terrible life. Of course... If you remember, he's simply echoing what Bildad said in chapter 18. But please remember as we go through this, it is true, but it is false. If if he were describing hell, it would be true. Because basically what Zophar says here is that life on earth will be hell for the wicked, but that's not true. If anything, it sometimes looks like life for the Christian is a bit hellish. The suffering, the hardships, the persecutions, the way God chastens us. And it looks like a life, that life is paradise sometimes for the wicked. So Zophar has got this inverted. Because it is often the children of God who are suffering calamities. But why? Because God doesn't love the wicked. So he doesn't treat them as his children, which means he does not discipline them. Have you ever noticed, especially you parents, when you're out at the store or some restaurant and a child is screaming, and usually it's not because they're hurt. It is often a screaming of, I will get my way. And what does a parent do most often? Just cave. Beloved, that's how God treats the wicked. They scream and scream and scream, so God gives them the desires of their heart. But he sends leanness into their souls. But he doesn't treat us like that. So Zophar's got this just a little bit upside down. In fact, if I may say it's like this. God's love is a little strange. God's love is very strange to our way of thinking. Think about that for just a moment. You know, if I love someone, I'm, I'm going to send them nice little emails. and I'm going to take them places. And we'll always be together. No one better say anything bad about that person. This person won't say anything bad about me, and I won't say anything about them. Whatever that person wants to do, that is just great with me. That is what we think love is. As you hear it on the radio and TV, love is unconditional, right? But that is not at all how God loves us. If you stay out of the Word for a couple of days, and you don't pray for a few days, then pretty soon God says, I love you so much, I'm going to make you miserable. I'm going to love you so much that I will bring trouble into your life to show you that you must live by My Word alone. And until you turn from your sins, you will be in a miserable state because I love you. My love for you doesn't diminish one bit, but I'm going to put pressure on you so you'll stay away from what I hate. He doesn't treat the ungodly like that. He treats his enemies as if they were his best friends sometimes. He's kind to the wicked. He is long-suffering. Jesus said in Matthew 5, He causes his sun to shine on the wicked and on the righteous. He causes the rain to fall on the wicked and the righteous. And sometimes we just pull out our hair. This is one of the greatest conundrums that godly men have struggled with in Scripture. Asaph did, David did, Job did. Why is it that it looks like God's children are the ones that He hates, but the wicked are the ones that He loves? Now, obviously, I can't answer that in whole today, but I can simply say, God loved his son so much that he crucified him to save us. Therefore, God loves us so much that he will mortify us. He will put to death the sins that are in our lives. He will topple our idols. Why? Because as our father, he wants us to be happy. And he knows the only way we are going to be happy is if we are holy. And the only way we're going to be holy is if, Psalm 119, 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept your word. You see, it's through affliction, it is through suffering that we say, ugh, that is the bad way. I can't go there. It's kind of like when you were younger and, Someone gave you a big bag of candy, and you'd say, oh, great, an afternoon snack. And then you eat the whole bag. And now you've learned, I can't eat the whole bag because my stomach is now playing tricks. That's why God chastens us. He gives us stomach aches. Sin gives us spiritual stomach aches. So that we learn to stay away from it. So remember that. As we look at Zophar, it's a miserable life. He says in verse 10 that the children of the wicked will have to go and kiss up to the poor. That is what he means in verse 10. Because their daddy got rich by oppressing the poor. Now when God takes everything away, this man's children will have to go back and restore What was taken away. Verse 11 His bones are full of the sins of his youth. It is true, the sins of your youth can cast very long shadows over the whole course of your life. But it is also true that when we turn to the Lord and repent, he visits mercy upon us and upon our children and not judgment. He says in verse 12, the wicked man doesn't let go of the sins of his youth. They lie down in the grave with him. He nurtures his desires. Whatever it may be, violence, lost pride, he nurtures it his whole life and he holds on to it. The wickedness that is sweet in his mouth, verse 12, he hides under his tongue. It's like, well, I'm just going to hold on to this little place where I can run back to it. I never know when I just need a little taste of this sin to get me through. So far is right in one respect. This is what is called the psychology of the wicked. Verse 13. Though he spare it or desire it, meaning I'm going to hold on to it. I'll give up other things. But I'm not going to give this one thing up. I'm not going to forsake it. I'm going to keep it in my mouth. But when that happens to him, verse 14, the meat in his bowels is changed to the venom of cobras within him. In other words, it makes him sick. Verse 15, he swallows riches, but he will vomit them up. And by the way, he assumes here at one level... That wealth equals wickedness, which is also not always true. Then instead of sucking on the vine and having the wine and the bread, verse 16, he's going to suck on the poison of asps. The viper's tongue will slay him, because he used his tongue to get ahead through deceit and crookedness. But verse 17... He's not going to enter a land flowing with milk and honey. That's not where he's going. He will not enter the promised land. And that which he labored for, he is going to have to restore. Everything that he accumulated by violence, he will have to give back. Really? According to a substance, shall the restitution be, and he will not rejoice in it. Why? Because he oppressed and forsook the poor. Because he violently took away a house which he builded not. It's interesting. These men supposedly knew Job. And earlier they had recognized, and Job did confess as well, as to how he took care of the poor. But at some level they've missed all of this, or they have forgotten it, because their premises will not stand to be checked. Job, you've got ahead by wickedness. How do we know this? Because you're not ahead anymore. God's taken it all away. Therefore, you must be wicked or a hypocrite. So for goes on in verse 20 about a wicked man, and it's a terrible life. And he says, well, they'll not feel any quietness inside, no peace. Now, sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. Verse 21, everyone he saves, everything he saves, he will lose. None of his meat will be left. Verse 22, when it all seems like he has enough, then other wicked men will come upon him and they will take it. Now, there's a lot of truth in these statements. On one hand, the wicked are often filled with a lot of pride. We see a lot of this today in politicians and businessmen and college professors. And it's a wonder that God doesn't just strike them down immediately. But we need to remember, however, however much a man boasts in his wealth, his position, his intelligence, his conscience does know that there is a God. And that he does owe his life to, to him, and nothing he can do can fully eradicate that. Therefore, Zophar is right at one level. Oftentimes, the wicked man is uneasy, is haunted by God. And this makes him uneasy in his prosperity. Our culture is very uneasy about its prosperity. Because there is a sense that we have stolen it from heaven. And we've not been thankful to God, our provider. And that uneasiness does come out in times of trouble and public calamity, no matter what wicked men try to do and suppress it. It is still there. The only way we can be delivered from this uneasiness of conscience, this fear is that perfect love casteth out fear. 1 John 4, 17. God's love for us in Christ is the only way. So if we trust him and the blood of our Savior, that is the key that unlocks the door of our conscience and opens it and sets it free. Now, there are two main sins here in verses 10 through 22 that we should be very careful about because they are wrecking havoc upon our society today. And those are covetousness, and youthful sins. Colossians 3.5 says. Covetousness is adultery, idolatry. Jesus said. If you have food and clothes. Be content. If you have your daily bread. If you have enough food. Don't spiritually go running off to the grocery store. Thinking you've got your. Jam pack your pantry. Because God does promise. To take care of us. He will supply our daily bread. He says, having food and raiment, therefore be content. Well, look what has happened to us as a people, because we are not content. I mean, we have wallets full of credit cards. We've even issued a national credit card, and we are trillions of dollars in debt, both privately and publicly. It's just unbelievable what has happened to us because of our covetousness as a nation. And I fear more danger is ahead unless we... Very soon repent. But then it is possible too much damage has already been done. The other thing here is useful sins. Zophar is correct on one level. As I said before, the sins of your youth can cast long shadows over the rest of our lives. The boy is a man in miniature, the girl is a woman in miniature. So if we don't remember our Creator in the days of our youth, and we don't give ourselves to Him as God calls us to, our sins can very possibly come back to haunt us in later years. That's why so much of the Bible is written to young people, because God warns, you need to set your taste buds early on the righteous things of life. Virgil, considered one of Rome's greatest poets, said, the oak cask long retains its first tang, meaning the first wine you put in the oak barrel, its aroma lingers for a long period of time. It does not quickly forget that first wine. And that is true of the habits and sins of the young. They linger and that's why so much of the Bible is written to young people to say, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Don't listen to your friends, they don't know what they're talking about. Listen to God, listen to your parents. You need to listen to those godly people who are in authority over you and give yourselves daily to the study of God's Word. Why? Because youthful diligence is the key to future usefulness and joy. And not having our sins from our youth following us all the way to the grave, as you see in verse 11. But here's the other part. And this is where Zophar is wrong. We oftentimes see ungodly children and covetous men very happy. Asaph lamented that the wicked don't have a care in the world. Ah. Oh. Don't be godly. Don't worry about religion. Don't worry about keeping the Sabbath day holy. Come on, loosen up a little bit. You know, Jesus is full of grace, and it's easier to ask for grace than it is to ask for permission. Just do what you want to do, and then you can ask for forgiveness later. Even though God's people struggle in this life, and we are oftentimes besieged. We must never doubt God's love for us and that we have a glorious inheritance waiting for us just like we should never doubt when we see the wicked prospering. When you are are young, you may have friends who seem like they are just having a great old time, ignoring their parents, doing what they want to do, living as they please. But you have to remember two things. Judgment is coming for the wicked and a wonderful inheritance is coming for the righteous and there is no period of life when we can live without that hope my friends or if we do we will fall into what jesus said in matthew twenty-four, twelve, when iniquity abounds the love of many will grow cold have you ever felt that way in your life You see so much sin in the world and it seems like ungodly men, those who are purveyors of smut and those who are purveyors of covetousness, whatever it may be, just live for fun and don't feel like they have to relate to God all the time. They look like they're just having a great old time. What happens? That evil influence... Thinking along those lines can make you think, maybe I'm taking my faith a little too seriously. Maybe I'm taking the Bible a little too seriously. That's what Jesus meant when he said, when iniquity increases, when it abounds, the love grows cold. Because I don't want to stand alone. I don't want to be without friends i mean all my friends are nice oh they get a little off course at times but i don't want to be in the wilderness with god alone like john or like daniel being taken away from their home at 12 or even like jesus i don't want to be like that i want to have fun we need to remember evil company corrupts good morals And, beloved, that is said to those in the church, not the worldlings.
1: And that will bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org. Or again, simply call 408-866-5607 copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408 Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless.